1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show, the only internet radio show dedicated to giving you real solutions to improve your health. Not only are they real solutions, but they're natural solutions as well, because as you know, the one and only true wealth you have is your health. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drisga, the Functional Medicine Doc, and I'm committed to helping you find the root cause of your health problem. Fix the cause with natural treatments so you can feel normal again and live your life to the fullest. Today's topic is how the vagus nerve helps to control inflammation. I'm so very excited about today's show because my special guest is Dr. Navaz Habib. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Dr. Navaz Habib is an author and speaker who empowers his patients to dig a little deeper and find the answers to what is holding back their health. Dr. Habib's book. Activate Your Vagus Nerve is a simple to follow guide to help you identify and address a major missing piece in patients dealing with chronic health concerns. By activating the vagus nerve, we can optimize our productivity, focus, and energy levels, allowing us to feel the positive effects of upgraded health. Dr. Habib, thank you so much for being my special guest today on this episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show.
2: My absolute pleasure, Carrie.
1: Okay, so I think a good place to start is to just explain in plain simple terms what the vagus nerve is and why is it so important.
2: Absolutely. It's a great place to start. The vagus nerve tends to be something that we are we we can be easily overwhelmed by overwhelmed by. So what I want to do is kind of take away a little bit of of that overwhelm and and simplify it for everybody who's listening. So the vagus nerve is one of our most important nerves in our body it is the 10th cranial nerve so we have 12 pairs of nerves that begin in the cranial cavity and the vagus nerves and yes there are two of them one on each side of the um, of the spine they are the 10th cranial nerve of the 12 pairs And this 10th cranial nerve is the only cranial nerve that actually exits the cranial cavity. It's the only one that leaves from the inside of the cranium, which is where our brain is located, and goes to other organs. And interestingly, it is actually going to so many different organs inside our entire body. It goes into through our neck, into our chest, uh, into our thorax, excuse me, and it actually will innervate the heart and the lungs. And it also will go down and innervate in the abdomen, the stomach, small intestine, large intestine, liver, gallbladder, pancreas, kidneys, spleen. Essentially, you name the organ and the vagus nerve will go and innervate that organ and what the vagus nerve does is it sends information both to those organs from the brain but also from those organs back to the brain information as to what's going on inside those organs and what processing needs to occur in the brain is then going to send a a signal to those organs in order to create a effect and we tend to look at the vagus nerve as being kind of this vague or wandering nerve. That's what the, the name vagus actually means, is that it's wandering because it actually has such an extensive, kind of not a very directed approach. It goes everywhere to affect so many different things. And so we, we need to be aware of the fact that it is going to all of these different organs because it's going to have such an important effect on all of them. And one very specific positive effect. And so that's what the vagus nerve does. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the specific functions of vagus as we get into this interview.
1: So I think probably a lot of our listeners have heard about the brain-gut connection yes. and the gut-brain connection. And that's really what we're talking about today. And, and that is connected via the vagus nerve.
2: Yes, definitely. So there is a physical connection between the gut and the brain, and that physical connection is through the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve innervates the stomach, the gallbladder, the large intestine, the small intestine, and the liver, and these are all parts of that uh, gut-brain connection. So when the gut is innervated by the specific nerve, the importance of this nerve is really clarified, first off. And secondly, the importance of the information that gets passed from the gut to the brain, and then again, from the brain back down to those organs is very, very important. And so that is the fastest and clearest direct path between the brain and the gut. It's the vagus nerve.
1: Okay, so we know that the brain talks to the gut, and the gut talks to the brain. Now, how do we know... If the vagus if our vagus nerve is working properly or not, if that communication is working properly,
2: yeah, so we want to know if there is an effective uh, pathway between these two areas. It's essentially, if we think of it in terms of a, a very simple analogy. It's the highway. It is the, the connecting point between two different cities. And we've got this one city in our brain where a lot of information is processed. And we've got this other city in our gut where a lot of uh, things come in and are processed physically and then uh, nutrients come into the cells through that system. But it's essentially two different cities that are doing um, important work. But we need to have a very clear pathway that's working between these two cities. And so a really easy way to check to see if the gut-brain connection is actually working through the vagus nerve and that the vagus is able to transport those and the information effectively from one city to the other is to see if our gut is actually working the way that it should be. And the easiest way to check that is if you're dealing with some sort of digestive dysfunction, that will be a clear sign that the vagus nerve is not able to do the job that it needs to do, that the information that's being passed is going slower than it should be or that the information is just not getting to where it needs to go. Um, Digestive dysfunction is one of the most important, most common signs of vagus nerve dysfunction that we see.
1: So I would say in my private practice when, so I screen my patients ahead of time, they have to fill in an application. So I kind of get an idea, can I do I think I can help this patient or not? So when I see an application and I have a patient that has chronic gut issues, especially chronic constipation or chronic SIBO, bacterial overgrowth, Mm -hmm. and they've tried everything and nothing has helped, then I'm thinking, well, there's probably an issue with the vagus nerve. The brain is probably not getting the signals to the gut for it to yeah. do its, you know, do its job properly.
2: Absolutely, yeah.
1: And so then, are there are there specific, like, um, s- signs that you look for? Like, are there tests that we can do to confirm this uh, suspicion?
2: Definitely. There's one specific test that I speak about in the book that I really uh, feel is a great way for anybody to just check to see, how well their gut is functioning. And you don't necessarily need to have a diagnosis of IBS or Crohn's or ulcerative colitis or chronic constipation or diarrhea in order to be able to check this. It's called the the Sesame Seed Bowel Transit Time Test. And essentially the simplest way to do this test is to go to any health food store or any bulk food store and pick up um, a small bag of white sesame seeds. And what you're going to do is you're going to take a spoonful of these white sesame seeds and you put them into a glass of water. And you're going to drink that glass of water without chewing those seeds. Our bodies are not able to digest sesame seed um, coverings, the, the outside cover of these seeds, the shell. And so essentially if we ingest them without chewing them down, then these seeds will actually show up in our stools the same way that other foods do, like corn, for example. And so what we are looking for is the time that it takes from when we ingest those sesame seeds uh, initially to how long it takes to see the first white sesame seeds coming out in our uh, stools, and then for the last sesame seeds to come out in the stools. And that optimal time uh, for the bowel transit time test is anywhere between 12 and 20 hours, Optimally, we should be sitting right around that 16-hour timeline. But anywhere between 12 and 20 tells us that we are doing quite well and that our bowel transit time is quite good. Anything less than that or anything more than that tells us that we either have a very fast-moving gut or a very sluggish gut. And if we have either of those problems going on where our bowel transit time is actually a little bit poorer or a little bit less strong... That's a sign that vagus nerve isn't able to turn on the peristaltic function or the, the function of the gut to actually have uh, food be moved effectively through the, uh, the gut as it gets down there.
1: Okay, so again, for the listeners out there, especially those that have tried all kinds of things to help your gut, to understand that you've probably have done all of the right things. It's just Mm -hmm. that the missing piece could be this neurological connection. Yeah. So Dr. Habib, when you have a patient that you're suspicious that they might have a vagus nerve issue, Mm -hmm. um, what else do you do?
2: So I'm also going to be looking for a few different other signs. So when I have somebody come into the office or I'm speaking to them on the phone, I'm listening to a few different things. Now, vagus nerve has four different functions. It has a parasympathetic function, which is our rest and digest function. So what I'm looking for in their initial visit or in the first couple of times that I'm talking to them is how well do they handle stress? And if their body is unable to really handle that stress and recover from a stressful event or a stressful scenario, that means that their bodies are probably not very well adapted or well um, able to recover from stressors that are coming on and so the parasympathetic portion of our autonomic nervous system our autonomic nervous system is essentially the the system that controls all of the things that we don't have to think about. So the beating of our heart, detoxification in our um, in our livers, the processing of food in our digestive tract, the uh, elimination of toxins from our kidneys, the things that we're not consciously thinking about, but are consciously and or excuse me, subconsciously occurring inside our cells and inside our body. If those things are not able to function very well and allow for recovery to occur, that means that vagus nerve is not working very well because 15% of the information that's being passed through vagus is of the parasympathetic um, persuasion. We also have... um, very important information that's coming back from the gut and from all of the organs that I mentioned earlier back to the brain. And so if we're not able to get a lot of that information of what's going on in the gut or what's going on in the liver back to the brain, then we're not able to process. And this is where we tend to find a lot of issues with inflammation coming up. So inflammation is very important in vagus nerve function and being able to understand why that inflammation is not being controlled. The vagus nerve has um, and the the neurotransmitter that vagus nerve uses is called acetylcholine, ACh for short. And so acetylcholine is actually the specific neurotransmitter and tool that is used in the anti-inflammatory system, the cholinergic anti-inflammatory system, which is mediated through vagus nerve. And so if we're not able to control our levels of inflammation then it's because the vagus nerve is not able to do its job. It's not able to process the information that there is a high level of inflammation going on in any of these organs and send a signal to these organs to say, let's calm the inflammation down. Let's decrease that inflammatory process that's going on and as we know from various research studies that have come out over the last uh, couple of years that about 70 to 80 percent of our immune cells are actually located in the gut and that's why it's so important for us to have this very strong uh, vagus nerve function and very effective vagus nerve function to control the inflammatory levels inside the gut not only but also in all of the other organs of the body as well
1: and so something that I also wanted to bring up, I was um, at a conference earlier this year with Dr. Mm-hmm. Datis Krasian and we were yes. talking all about uh, brain inflammation. And yes. he spoke about how when there's inflammation in the gut, mm-hmm. that that inflammation will travel up the vagus nerve and then inflame the brain. Yes, absolutely. And that brain inflammation, although we cannot test that, like you cannot put a syringe in the skull and suck out a bunch of juice and test for inflammation. Some yeah. of the most common symptoms of the brain being inflamed are feeling tired, having fatigue, yes. having a slow processing, you know, slow brain speed, just feeling like foggy in your brain. Yes. Um, and having poor motivation. Like that's just very mild. Uh, yes. brain inflammation. And of course, if the brain is like on fire and we're adding gasoline to that and that gasoline mm-hmm. is coming up the vagus nerve from the gut, yes, that it really complicates things, doesn't it, Dr. Habib? It, it
2: <laughs> absolutely does. The vagus nerve is strongly associated and when it's not functioning well, being able to actually bring all of that inflammation up into the brain. We have uh, a system called the blood-brain barrier, which is supposed to help to keep inflammatory... Uh, products and viruses and and things out of the brain itself. If it's in the blood, it should not get to the brain. But the vagus nerve is a direct bypass to the blood-brain barrier. And in fact, the somites are developmentally, our blood-brain barrier comes from the same developmental cells as our gut-blood barrier. And so if we start to have a leakiness in our gut because our gut function is compromised then it's very easy for inflammation to get through that gut blood barrier uh, get into the vagus nerve and actually bypass that blood brain barrier and get into the brain leading to these brain foggy incidents where people are dealing with memory loss walking into a room and forgetting why walking into um, like forgetting where they've parked their car for example very common little memory lapses that we think are are very innocent and, and some people just have, quote unquote, bad memory or, or inability to remember these things. But that is a direct sign of inflammatory processes occurring in the brain, especially when we see uh, somebody being able to do those things earlier, having a good memory and not having foggy thoughts, and then progressing in a negative direction where that inflammation actually comes up and becomes more negative.
1: So for the listeners out there, a lot of doctors don't know that. A lot of doctors really don't understand that about the vagus nerve, that inflammation travels up the vagus nerve from the gut, then inflames the brain, and then that totally creates a vicious cycle between the brain and the gut. And you could treat the gut, treat the gut, treat the gut, and you'll only get so far. And you'll never really be truly healed until you work on the vagus nerve and you get the inflammation out of the brain.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. We, we really do need to keep that inflammation level uh, down and, and monitor that and have a very strong effect through the vagus nerve to limit um, the inflammation levels in the gut because that's where the vast majority of our inflammation is going to start is in the gut.
1: Okay. So earlier you were talking about stress and that stress can throw off the vagus nerve. So that gave me a thought because, I mean, this happens to me, not, you know, TBI here, Uh, uh, (laughs) TMI, I should say that. um, But a lot of patients will say this, you know, when they travel, their digestion gets thrown off. And I was just thinking, well, well, that could be the sign of vagus nerve that it's weak, that, that traveling is a stress mental, emotionally, it's, toxins that you're being exposed to radiation and being up in the plane or just throwing off your schedule Yep,
2: yeah, absolutely so travel is one of those things where our body is put under a lot of stress and and that stress can be because maybe we're crossing time zones for example and our bodies don't know what time it is and so we throw off our melatonin responses and our hormones get thrown off and in doing so when we change our schedules our bodies don't know whether they're in a, in a state of being awake or going to sleep. And when we sleep, we recover. And that's where vagus nerve does a lot of its work, is during that sleep time and being able to help the recovery of the stressors that have occurred throughout the day. And when we add on travel and when we add on other stressors, so for example relationship stress or adding on the stress of of um, finances that might not be where you want them to be or things like that what tends to happen then is the inflammatory processes are upregulated. Our bodies are put under higher stress and our parasympathetic activity through the vagus nerve is downregulated. And when that gets downregulated, that means that we're not able to control inflammation. We're not able to control digestive function. And that's what leads to all of these symptoms that people are having For example, when they travel or when they have a stressful life event that comes up and we tend to get this weird feeling in our gut and our digestion gets thrown off when there is a a stressor that occurs. So yes, that's absolutely a very common occurrence and a very clear sign that your vagus nerve is not actually functioning as well as you want it to be.
1: And then I just wanted to add for the listeners out there, another uh, sign uh, of vagus nerve dysfunction um, that I'll sometimes see is when I'll have a patient and they they'll they'll tell me, um Dr. Carey, I can't swallow any pills. Mm-hmm. like this is a full-on adult. I can't swallow any pills. Um, I have to like this needs to be in a powder or a liquid like I don't care how gross it is. I just cannot swallow pills. And when they say that in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, huh, I wonder th- there's something I'm going with going on with their vagus nerve, with their gag yeah. reflex, with all of that.
2: Yeah, so that's a, that's a great, um, great thing to see and, and very common as well with a lot of clients. And so um, the gag reflex, the motor aspect of the gag reflex is mediated through vagus nerve. So I said earlier on that there were four specific functions to the vagus nerve, parasympathetic being one of them, afferent, which is where the information being brought from all of the organs to the brain, that is our second function. Our third function is motor function, and that motor function is uh, function to muscles or signals to muscles to do the job that they need to do. And these muscles are the muscles of the back of the throat and the muscles of the larynx. So the reason that I'm actually able to have a voice that has a pitch variability where I can go very low or I can go very high with my voice that is actually a sign of vagus nerve function. And if we don't have that pitch variability where we don't have that ability to go up from a very high tone to a very low tone, that means that vagus motor function is going to be compromised. And the inability to swallow capsules or swallow pills is very strongly associated to this because the gag reflex can be either up or down regulated where vagus nerve is not working well.
1: So basically the gag reflex can be like hypersensitive, so yes, it, some of the listeners who are out there like when you brush your teeth in the morning, if if you're like so easy to gag, just like kind of touching your tongue with your toothbrush, you have a very sensitive gag reflex, yeah. Which, which is vagus nerve, and then of course, um, there's the opposite too, which is a very lazy exactly. gag reflex. Exactly. So you can
2: have a hypersensitive or hypo gag reflex where. Um, you could go and touch the back of your throat and nothing was, were to happen, that probably is a sign of poor motor function to those areas, whereas hypersensitivity, if you were to touch it and you activate very quickly and your gag reflex is very strong, that might be more of a sign of hypersensitivity, hypersensory issues with the vagus nerve and, and with other uh, nerves that are involved in the sensation aspect of the gag reflex.
1: Okay, so now that you've explained all of that, let's kind of change directions and start talking about treatment. Like, how do we help fix this? (laughs)
2: Absolutely. We have outlined the problem. It's probably best to figure out what to do about it now, right? So there's a few things that we can do and and a lot of tools that we can use based on the, the four functions that vagus nerve already has, and two of them in particular we're going to talk a little bit more about. So the number one best thing that we need to do that everybody needs to do a little bit more of, but especially those that are dealing with vagus nerve dysfunction, is to learn how to breathe correctly again. The most common thing that I see is that somebody coming in with an autoimmune condition or with some sort of digestive dysfunction where the vagus nerve is strongly involved is that they don't breathe correctly. They do not use their diaphragm to take a deep breath proper abdominal breath, And so when we are growing up, we tend to either uh, be put into physical postural positions that we're slouched over, sitting on our laptops or watching TV or on our cell phones that are in front of us. And that physically is putting us into a posture that doesn't allow our chest and our ribs to expand and contract and doesn't allow our gut to um, be able to or, or our diaphragm to be able to rise and fall to allow that breathing to occur and so we tend to breathe using our accessory muscles which are the muscles of the back of the neck and upper back and that's why a lot of us have very tense muscles in our upper back and neck area the trapezius and levator scapulae and rhomboids when those muscles get tight it's a sign that we're using those accessory breathing muscles so what we need to do is learn to actually get into a good posture, get our chest raised forward, make sure that our our head is aligned, that our ears are aligned with our shoulders, have a good posture and actually learn to breathe using our diaphragm, using that balloon filling feeling uh, of our gut and actually have the rise and fall of our gut occurring. So to test to see if you're breathing correctly, I get my patients to do this when they're sitting in the room with me is put one hand on your chest and put one hand on your belly. And sit back kind of in a comfortable position where you're in a good posture. And I want my patients and and anybody who's listening right now just to take a deep breath. And what's going to happen is you're going to notice that one of your hands is going to be moving more than the other. And ideally, the hand that should be moving is our bottom hand, the hand that is on our belly, on our abdomen if we're not moving that hand if our if the hand that's moving is the upper hand that means that we're using our accessory chest muscles and our accessory breathing muscles to allow that to occur and we're not using our diaphragm and the other important piece of the puzzle here is if the diaphragm is not moving up and down with that breath then we're not actually getting physical movement and physical uh, actually function of the The organs that are below the diaphragm, and those include all of the digestive organs, stomach, small intestine, large intestine, and the liver especially. And so that motion of the diaphragm where we're breathing correctly allows for positive uh, movement in not only the lungs, but also in the digestive organs as well. So the breath is definitely where I have most people start not only just to test where they're at, but to get them move, feel, feeling a lot better and actually moving and breathing a lot better.
1: And then are there any other exercises that people can do to help rehab their vagus nerve?
2: Certainly. In the, um, when we talked about motor function, I talked a lot about the muscles at the back of the throat, the muscles of the larynx and pharynx. This is where we can actually use and train our gag reflex, where we can train our humming and chanting and and, uh, vocal cord muscles. And these are actually going to be great tools to help to uh, increase the tone and increase the the capacity of our vagus nerve to have uh, a strong effect. So when I'm listening to my patients speak, I'm listening to the tonality of their voice I spoke a little bit about. And so what I have patients do when they need to uh, improve the function of these things is do little tasks throughout the day that can help to stimulate these muscles um, of the larynx and pharynx. So in the mornings, I'll have my patients, uh, when they're brushing their teeth, actually go to the back of their throat and activate their gag reflex using their toothbrush go back there and actually get that little thing poked and, and make it feel like it needs to do the job that it needs to do and get that gag reflex working, but not working hypersensitively. We want it to be working at a point where only when we do touch and and pr- with a pretty uh, strong touch that we do get a pretty strong gag reflex And then I'll also have my patients uh, take a glass and keep it with them uh, for morning and evening when they're brushing their teeth. Keep that glass by the sink and throw a little bit of salt into a glass of warm water and then gargle. And gargling is a great tool to stimulate the back of the throat muscles but also the larynx muscles. This is a great tool that uh, Dr. Karazian actually spoke a lot about uh, early on in his career and in a couple of the books that he's written where he spoke about getting this this gargle reflex to turn on really really strong and if we get this gargling reflex to activate the way that we want it to what it's going to do is stimulate the function of all of the different nuclei inside the brainstem that are surrounding the vagus nerve nuclei and it'll actually help with stimulation of the parasympathetic nuclei uh, stimulation of the sensory nuclei stimulation of the afferent nuclei as well so if we take that uh, glass and we we take that sip and try to gargle pretty hard, to the point where we actually start to tear from our eyes, that tells us that we're doing a really good job. And then if we're gargling, I like to add in a little bit of salt with that warm water because the salt is a great tool for breaking up some of the bacterial biofilm that likes to sit at the back of our throats. So just in combination of Uh, vagus nerve function through the gargling but also using this tool that's available to us like a, a himalayan pink salt for example in a warm water can have a really great effect on knocking out a lot of those bacteria at the back of our throat so those are two great tools the gag reflex and the gargling and then one more that i'll bring up right now is humming and chanting and singing are actually really really great tools for stimulating the laryngeal muscles the muscles of the vocal cords that allow for that pitch and tonality to occur. So what I really like to do is have patients either do some humming or chanting to get them into a calm state. And that's a really great sign because if, if, let's say, for example, prior to a meal, and this is something I've been doing with my daughter quite a bit, my daughter is now two years old, and something that we do to get her into a calm state prior to a meal where we're not eating under stress is sit there and just for a minute or two do some deep breathing, And then do some humming, and humming just at the bottom of our throat, very similar to the um, Hindu meditation where we do the om chant, where we go om, and we get that vibration that's occurring in and around our vocal cords. That's a great way to stimulate vagus nerve function, but also get us into a very calm state. Nobody who's under stress is going to sit there and actually uh, chant or, or sing om. And so this is a great way to uh, not only help yourself to improve that vagus nerve function, but make it a fun little thing that you do with your kids, with your family, to make sure that they then are able to increase the tone of their vagus nerve function over time and and kind of create a habit of being healthy from early on.
1: So this is nice. You've given our listeners a lot of ideas, and Mm -hmm. the good thing is that they're all free. So um, in the last couple of minutes that we have, um, Mm -hmm. is there anything else, you know, about the vagus nerve that we haven't uh, mentioned that you think is important for our listeners to know?
2: There are some other ways to test vagus nerve function that um, do tend to cost a little bit of money or or require further testing. Um, And I really like to talk about it just because people need to know the importance of heart rate variability. And I think heart rate variability is something that is easily overlooked and, and a lot of uh, conventional doctors don't know much about. So heart rate variability is a sign of vagus nerve function. Our our heart rate is going to increase and decrease based on the amount of stress that we're under. And I was talking a little bit about the autonomic nervous system and the fact that vagus nerve has very specific Uh, parasympathetic function where it's going to calm heart rate and actually get us into a calm or or relaxed state. Where, excuse me, the other side of the autonomic nervous system is the sympathetic nervous system. And the sympathetic nervous system is our survival mechanism. And so it's keeping us alive under stressful circumstances. Evolutionarily, if we were being attacked by a saber-toothed tiger or some sort of Um, threat to our survival our bodies would immediately go into a state of survival fight or flight in the sympathetic uh, side and actually activate that sympathetic nervous system and essentially shut off the parasympathetics we're not worried about recovery when we're trying to get away from this threat to our survival and so what would happen is our heart rate would increase along with so many other changes that would occur where the blood flow would go away from our digestive tract and away from our liver and go towards our muscles and our arms and our legs so that we could either fight against this threat or run away from it as quickly as we can, which is where flight comes from. And so what we're essentially trying to look at is, is the heart rate, uh, signifying or is it telling us are we in a state of sympathetic function or parasympathetic function and that's where heart rate variability comes in so when we can measure the time time that's a sign that vagus nerve is functioning the lower the time between heartbeats, and the lower the variability of those the time between those beats the less vagus nerve is functioning and the more sympathetic function is occurring whereas if we're under a state of relaxation recovery rest and digest then our heart rate variability the time that um, is the time between our heartbeats the variation between them is increased and so that's a sign that the interbeat interval or the time between those beats is a direct sign of vagus nerve function
1: Fantastic. Thanks for sharing that awesome information. So for our listeners out there that want to learn more about this, how can they learn more?
2: Certainly, you can learn a little bit more about the book itself and about the Vagus Nerve a little bit more through my book at VagusNerveBook.com, V-A-G-U-S, NerveBook.com. And if you're interested in learning more about me and my practice, uh, you can look up healthupgraded.com.
1: Fantastic. So for the listeners out there, I'll make sure to have all of those links in the podcast notes so that you can easily find Dr. Habib's information and his book. Dr. Habib, thank you so much for being my special guest today. This has been an awesome interview.
2: My absolute pleasure, Carrie. Thank you so much for sharing this with everybody
1: all right that this wraps up the very all right that wraps up this very special episode of the functional medicine radio show with dr nawaz habib and i want to thank you our listeners for tuning in today and i'd like to invite you back next time for another episode of the functional medicine radio show as always i'm your host dr carry drizga the functional medicine doc have a great week everyone
0: You've been listening to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Kerry Drisga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc.